All right. Well, we're uh, coming back to our study now. And as usual, you can type questions in the chat box, or if you want to save them to the end, you can do that too. Uh, either one, we'll address them as, as we get to them. I want to I want to just remind you before I forget, because I know I probably will by the end, um, that I, we won't have this study next week. So Wednesday I'll be uh, I'll be off, and so um, we won't we won't do the study next week, but we'll be back the week after that. So just as a reminder. Um, so we're coming into our study, and just as a reminder of where we were uh, last week, remember that. Uh, there was a prophet from Judah that came to uh, Jeroboam. Remember, Jeroboam is in the north. Just as a kind of, just a, a quick summary here, the kingdom has been divided into two parties. Judah is the southern kingdom and, um, and is made up of Judah and Benjamin, mostly, with the tribe of Levi serving in the temple. And then the northern kingdom is made out of the other 10 tribes, for the most part. Uh, in the north, known typically as Israel, sometimes is known as Ephraim, because Ephraim is that kind of centrally located uh, territory right in the middle of the, the northern kingdom. And it's the first territory you come to when you walk uh, up through Benjamin. And so um, sometimes it's called Ephraim, sometimes it's called Israel, but it's the northern kingdom. And uh, the southern kingdom of Judah is the one that is is led by the line of David. And it's typically referred to, at least in, in you know common parlance, as the the uh, legitimate kingdom. While the northern kingdom is often referred to as the illegitimate kingdom, simply because they don't have uh, the Davidic line leading them or ruling over them. And so, <clears throat> so we've got the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is led by Jeroboam. And he was in Solomon's kingdom. He was a, a, an astute, you know, young man in, in Solomon's kingdom. And he was given uh, the northern kingdom uh, and the 10 tribes that go with it as a judgment against Solomon and against Rehoboam. Rehoboam is the king over the southern tribe, uh, over the southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin. He is Solomon's son. And we'll see a, the dynastic succession uh, of, of David's line go through that southern kingdom. And so we'll watch that happen. But sometimes their names will be very similar and it's hard to keep track. So you got Jeroboam in the north and Rehoboam in the south. Well, there's a prophet from Judah that comes up through the north because Jeroboam is leading the northern kingdom into idolatry. And he has built high places, which are pagan temples to worship. He's in the middle of sacrificing at this pagan temple when this prophet from Judah comes up through the, the through the north and, and sees him and is given a message from the Lord to, to tell him. And uh, he, he tells him that message. And soon after he prophesies about that, that the kingdom is going to be eventually ripped away from Jeroboam and, and all of this, that Jeroboam's son becomes deathly ill. And we saw this last week, but the king um, wanted to find out more about this and see if he could potentially save uh, his son. And so he sends his, uh, hold on one second. I'm not going to answer that. Uh, he sends his, his, uh, his, his wife to go to this prophet and ask her 
or ask the prophet what is going on and, and, you know, is it possible for his, uh, his son to be saved? But his wife goes in disguise. The prophet knows that his wife is going to be uh, in disguise and calls her out and says, your son's going to die because of the evil that Jeroboam has done. And sure enough, we see this kind of dis- disintegration of Jeroboam's kingdom, starting with the death of his son, really starting with rampant idolatry that Jeroboam condoned. But the situation in the South with Rehoboam isn't really that much better. In fact, Rehoboam had permitted all kinds of idolatry in the land. And um, there were, he, he, there were high, uh, places where worship was happening, such as we call them high places. There were religious pillars, which are commonly referred as Ashtaroth. You'll see also groves, which is really the same term for Ashtaroth or a, 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 a kind of a, almost think of like a wooden totem pole with the goddess uh, Asherah at the top. Um, temple prostitutes, all kinds of things were going on in the Southern kingdom. This is under the reign of Rehoboam. And so he allowed rampant idolatry, rampant wickedness, much like his father Solomon had already done uh, before him. So this is now an, another generation of, of people that are, uh, kings that are that are wicked and leading wickedly and so Rehoboam dies and he leaves his kingdom to his successor his son Abijah you'll see in Chronicles in Kings you'll see Abijam Um, and in the NIV I think he's always referred to as Abijah but the son of Rehoboam uh, son grandson of David uh, a great grandson of David takes over the kingdom and he also did not walk according to the Lord. So now three generations um, after David all have this permitting of idolatry and permitting of wickedness. And um, he, so Abijah is not much better than his dad, but in the midst of wickedness from Abijah, we get this little statement that the narrator clues us into in first Kings, where he says, God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by raising up a son to succeed him. And that son is who we're going to talk about tonight. And that son is Asa. Uh, we're going to, we're going to deal a lot with him tonight and all of the, the things going on in his, uh, in his kingdom. So, and why did God do this? Well, it, it, the promise is really, uh, God's own benevolence. That's pretty much it. Um, it, it certainly they didn't deserve it. And, you know, they, there's certainly no way that they had acted righteously or anything like that. And so why did God do this? Well, he just did it for David's sake. He made a promise to David that he would never remove him, his line from the throne and that, um, that he would always have a successor on the throne, which is a miracle in its own right. Uh, namely that there would be a boy to take the throne, but, uh, but he kept his word. And what we see is that he's going to judge the Northern kingdom because of their sin. And to the Southern kingdom, he often supplies, he judges them too, but he often supplies just a gift of grace that they don't deserve so that he doesn't wipe them off the face of the map. He does that some with the Northern kingdom as well, but Um, but we're going to see it a lot in, in the Southern kingdom. Okay. So during Abraham's, uh, sorry, during Abijam's reign, the, the Canaanite influence that prevailed under Rehoboam 
continued and even increased. Um, what we see in the text is that Abijam had a mother who was the wife of Rehoboam, um, Abijam's mom, mom named Akah, and she is a daughter of Absalom, who is a son of David. Um, Absalom, and she was she was an evil woman, uh, and, and not only was she evil, she is given credit, if you will, for aggravating the apostasy. She's the one provoking a lot of the apostasy uh, apostasy in the kingdom, and apparently she had even authorized the erection of a an Asherah pole in Jerusalem. So you see this picture over to the right. This is at least the top, the sort of top part of an Asherah pole. Underneath this would be, I mean, if you can imagine like one of those, uh, I'm sure you've seen a totem pole before, be a very similar thing. They're very common in, uh, in worship of pagan deities. Uh, they were common. I think uh, Indians, I think, used them a lot. Um, but, you know, they're just different, different kinds of poles that worship different gods. And the Ashtaroth or the Asherah pole, it has the goddess Asherah at the top, who is a goddess of fertility. And so we see references in, in last week to the temple prostitutes and things like this. Well, uh, Asherah and her temples were often uh, temples of you know, sexual practices and with lots of, you know, temple prostitutes and things like this. And so, um, so apparently, uh, Makkah is, uh, is known for having aggravated this situation and having caused a lot of it. Now I want to read, uh, in our passages here in 15:2. it says, he, uh, he reigned for three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was, this is, uh, uh Abijam. His mother's name was Makkah, the daughter of Abishalom, or Absalom, um, and and again it says he reigned for forty. Uh, this is Asa. Now he's saying he reigned for forty-one years, and it says in fifteen ten his mother's name was Maacah, the daughter of uh, uh, Abishalom or Absalom. And so we have a we have a little issue here in the text because the author of Kings identifies Asa, who we're seeing who we're talking about tonight, as the son of Maacah. But what we also see is that he's clearly the, the son of Abijam. Asa is the son of Abijam. So what the author is intending to signify is that Asa is the grandson or Ma'akah is the grandmother of Asa. So the, I wanted to point that out because that can be really weird if you're reading a bunch of names that you've never seen before and you see something a little bit confusing about the family tree. Now, why is it that we would see uh, a, you know, indication here that, uh, that he's the son of Ma'akah when that's obviously not the case? He's the grandson of Ma'akah. Well, in 2 Chronicles 15, 16, this is actually isn't all that uncommon, even in today's language. Uh, you hear this a lot in like British language with some of like Parliament and, and, uh, and the Queen and things like this. In 2 Chronicles 15, 16, it says, uh, the author says, even Ma'akah, his mother, King Asa removed from being Queen Mother. And so you'll often hear that language applied to a queen. She's the queen mom. Uh, 
even though she's not the mother of the person that's succeeding her or that that's coming onto the throne. She's like, she's a grandmother, but because of her position, by virtue of her position, she's sort of like the, the mother of the country in some, some aspects, I guess is the way you would think of that. And so that's probably something like the reason why she's referred to as, as Asa's mom, but just know as we got the family tree lined up here, this is Asa's grandmother is on the throne. Now, Asa comes in and he begins to undertake this religious transformation or this religious reformation in the country. And even in the book of Chronicles, we see that the succession of Asa, as soon as he takes the throne, comes with 10 years of peace. Why is that? It probably has a lot to do with the fact that he's really young when he takes over the throne. Uh, we see that because he reigns for a long time. He reigns for like 41 years, but he comes onto the throne and he's given this uh, long reign of peace. And likely just after that 10 years of peace. So we're talking about 9-11 to 9-01. If you remember in the back of your, um, your uh, packet there, you've got the years that they reigned, or at least a, a loose chronology as close as we can nail it down to the years that these kings reigned. And you'll see Asa is 9-11 for 40 years after that. And so um, so to 870, I believe it is, if my math is correct. And so he gets this 10 years of peace at the very beginning, probably until he matures a little bit. Once he reaches the age of maturity, he seems to then undertake this religious reformation in the country where he actually kicks his own grandmother off her throne, whatever perceived throne she had, which is like the, the author of Chronicles kind of indicates she's the queen mom of, of kind of the country. So she has some at least title of dignity uh, to some degree. He comes in and he, he removes her from her throne. Not only does he remove her from her throne, he also takes all the objects of worship that she had set up, including the Asherah pole, and tears it down and burns it in the Valley of Kidron. So we see some of this in 1 Kings 15, uh, 9 through 15. And he says, in the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa began to reign over Judah, and he reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. His mother was named Ma'akah, the daughter of Avishalom. And Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as his father David had done. He put away the male cult prostitutes out of the land and removed all the idols that his father had made, his fathers had made. He also removed Ma'akah, his mother, from being queen mother because she had made an abominable image of Asherah. And Asa cut down her image and burned it in the brook of Kidron. Uh, but the high places were not taken away. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true to the Lord all his days. He brought into the house of the Lord the sacred gifts of his father and his own sacred, his own sacred gifts, silver and gold and vessels. Um, and then we see in Second Chronicles 14, 2-5, And Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He took away the foreign altars and the high places and broke down the pillars and cut down the Asherim and commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the commandment. Uh, and he also took 
out of all the cities of Judah, the high places and the incense altars, and the kingdom had rest under him. So you notice that there is this mixed review of Asa. There is an overall very positive review. He did this, and this was very good. At the same time, he didn't do it as fully as he could have. At this, there's this, there's this qualification, not in Chronicles, but in First uh, Kings. It says in verse 14, but the high places were not taken away. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true to the Lord in all his days. So he undertook this religious reformation and he kicked out his, you know, his own grandmother from her throne, which was great. And he tore down a lot of things. And even the author of Chronicles points to just how many things he took away. And yet he didn't do as much as he could have. He could have done more. And so we get this sort of mixed review. All of the kings for the remainder of First Kings, First Chronicles, Second Kings, Second Chronicles, uh, they're all reviewed based on what they did to the high places and what they did with the Lord. Did they walk in the ways of the Lord? Did they lead the nation in the ways of the Lord? And what did they do with the high places? So they're all going to have this. And some will walk with the ways of the Lord, but didn't fully tear down the high places. And so you're going to see the reviews based on those two things, what, the, what they're able to do with those. And he gets sort of this mixed review, but in light of the fathers that had come before him, the kings that had come before him, Asa is walking in the ways of the Lord. Uh, Asa is uh, a, a righteous person. And it, based on what's come before, that's a great thing for the nation of Israel. Finally, and this is the one thing that I think is probably the most important for at least what pieces we're going to see move tonight. There's a, the period of reformation that Asa undertook probably about somewhere around 15 years into his, um, into his reign. There is this great assembly at Jerusalem, which not only brought Judah, the tribe of Judah to Jerusalem to worship, but also brought the faithful of Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon are also invited. And this is held in the 15th year of Asa's reign, sometime around 896, roughly. Okay. Now, I want you to think about that for just a second as we read the passage associated with that, 15, 8 through 15. Why would that cause a problem? Some of the, tri the people from the tribe of Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon going to the temple. Think about that for just a second. As soon as it this is verse eight of chapter 15 of second Chronicles, as soon as Asa heard these words, the prophecy of Azariah, son of Obed, he took courage and put away the detestable idols from the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities that had taken the, in the, that he had taken in the hill country of Ephraim. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the vestibule of the house of the Lord. And he gathered all, all Judah and Benjamin and those from Ephraim, Manasseh and Simeon who were residing with them for great numbers had deserted to him from Israel when they saw that the, what the, that the Lord, his God was with him. And they gathered at Jerusalem in the third month of the 15 year, 15th year of the reign of Asa. They sacrificed to the Lord on that day from the spoil that they had brought 
700 oxen and 7,000 sheep. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and with all their soul. But, but that whoever uh, would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, should be put to death, whether young or old, man or woman. They swore an oath to the Lord with a loud voice and with a shouting of tr- and with trumpets and with horns. And all Judah rejoiced over the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and had sought him with their whole desire. And he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. Now, why is this a problem? If you'll go back and remember, several weeks ago, we talked about Jeroboam. Jeroboam is the king in the northern kingdom. And Jeroboam has a tremendous problem because he is, as he's on the throne, and he's taking over while... Uh, par- partly while uh, he's be- he's told about it while Solomon, because he's from Solomon's kingdom, but while Rehoboam is on the throne, he, the kingdom is torn away from Rehoboam and, and the northern kingdom is given to Jeroboam. And Jeroboam thinks that it's his job to now institute a new religion in the northern kingdom. So for some reason, Jeroboam feels as though, even though God gave him the northern kingdom, his job is to reinstitute a new religion in the north and implement pagan worship in the north. But he gets really nervous because he thinks to himself, well, there's going to be people that leave the northern kingdom and they're going to go down to Jerusalem. This is why he begins to implement pagan worship. He puts a capital at uh, uh, Bethel and um, Shechem, I believe it is. Is that right? That's not right. The capital's at Shechem. I can't remember the other city. Anyway, he puts he puts two places of worship, one in the southern part of the northern uh, kingdom and one in the very north uh, of the northern kingdom where people from the north can go worship at their high place and people from the southern part of the north can go worship at their high place, the one, whichever one is closest to them. And, uh, and there he implements his own priesthood, his own altars and all that kind of stuff. In fact, the prophet from the south that comes up and testifies about uh, Jeroboam, he's currently worshiping at one of those high places when the prophet does that. So, and remember the reason that he did that was to keep people from the northern kingdom from going down to the south and worshiping in the south. Well, he's condemned for this, and it's part of the reason why the kingdom is taken away from him. So, do you think it's going to be a huge problem now that Asa has taken the throne in the south and all the some of the people from the northern tribes are coming down into the south and beginning to worship at Jerusalem? They're seeing that the Lord is with Asa. They're coming down and making oaths there at the temple in Jerusalem. Well, God doesn't see this as a problem. To God, they sh- the northern tribes should continue to worship him. They should continue to go down to Jerusalem. No king in the north should ever think it's his job to impede them from going down to the south and worshiping in Jerusalem. But for some reason, the kings in the north feel as though it's a threat to them that their people would be leaving and going to worship in the south. So they develop this complex. So this is going to be a huge problem. So let's remember this. About the 15th year of Asa, this whole big Great assembly happens in Jerusalem in the 15th year of Asa. That's going to be important in just uh, a minute. So let's 
get some of these things out of the way first. It's got to be assumed that Asa is very young when he came to power because his father had reigned only for three years and he's, and, and so his father was probably quite young when he died. And additionally, Asa reigns for 41 years, which is not, uh, it's not, it's not that it's very uncommon, but it's not uh, impossible. Obviously, he he reigned for 41 years. Several other people, David reigned for 40 years. Uh, Saul reigned for, I think, 40 or 50 years. Um, Solomon reigned for 30. So it's it's not as though he's the he's um, he's the the longest reign or anything like that in the of the kings of Judah. But he he definitely reigns for a long time. So that probably tells you he's very young when he takes over the throne. But There were wars between Judah and Israel. They're at each other's throat. Remember we said from from a few weeks ago, we kind of saw in the text that the kings of Judah were jealous over the northern kingdom and wanted to do anything they could to bring the people back into the land of Judah and bring them back under the reign of of the southern kings. And so they often were engaged in battles with the north and the north with the south. And so that's no different in the reign of Asa. The wars continue between Judah and Israel. But um, but during the times of peace, these little intermittent times of peace, it allows Asa time to build up these strong fortifications, uh, both in the south of the territory of Judah and in the northern part of the territory of Judah, so that he could keep out both Egypt to the south from coming up and he could keep out the northern kingdom from invading the south and so that's actually going to prove uh pretty um uh nice for them in the future but after this egypt is pretty much egypt makes one more play into the southern kingdom but they're pretty much non-existent for the rest of the old testament virtually um so we get a little bit here and there but they're they're virtually nothing for the rest of the old testament so he built up these strong fortifications to really keep them out uh, from invading the the territory. However, it does say that he failed to remove all of the high places. But then we also saw in Chronicles that he he was praised for having removed all of the high places. Now, I want to point this out because some people use this as a as a way of showing a, a apparent contradiction in the text between First Kings and Second Chronicles. First King says well, he didn't remove all the high places, but then we saw in Second Chronicles the the chronicler says he removed he was praised because he he removed he removed all the high places, and you can see that in one of the Chronicles passages that we read. I didn't uh, necessarily point it out when we came through there. Uh, I think it is in two through five. Yeah, Second Chronicles fourteen two through five. Listen to what he says here. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He took away the foreign altars and the high places and broke down the pillars and cut down the Asherim and commanded Judah to seek after the Lord, the God of their fathers, and keep the law uh, uh, and the commandment. He also took out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the incense altars, and the kingdom had rest under him. So what is it he said? we we see in uh second chronicles 15:17 where he says but the high places were not taken out of israel nevertheless the heart of asa was holy true in all his days so the chronicler comes in then on the back end and says 
well, they weren't all taken out. Where weren't they taken out? Let's kind of get a picture of pagan worship and what we're talking about here. It seems that Asa went through Judah and took down all the high places. That's pretty clear. It seems also that he took down all the foreign high places, which would have been the Canaanite temples that they built. So there's still some Canaanite people in throughout the land that are building high places and worshiping there that aren't really concerned with Judah. It seems that Asa went through most of the land and cleared those out too. It seems that he also went into Ephraim and a couple of other of the territories in the north that he had conquered or that he had begun to move into, and he had begun to take out a lot of those high places as well. But what he didn't take out, it seems, were some of the high places in the northern kingdom that he didn't get to. So in his 41 years of reign, he it was right to expect him to move into the northern kingdom and eradicate all the high places completely from the entire promised land. And he didn't do that. So he is, the, the, the part that he is partially condemned for, if you want to call it that, or some, some nicks against his record, would be that he didn't invade all of Israel, didn't conquer it, and didn't take out the high places uh, throughout the entire land. So uh, that kind of help, maybe helps to see like exactly what's going on. Um, so Israelite high places, uh, he did take out the Canaanites in Judah, and many in Israel were destroyed. However, he didn't. He did. He did do what was right in the sight of the Lord, and so he's upheld for that. Now he, we get into this conflict where Asa is actually going to get into embroiled in a war with the northern kingdom, and this lasts for most of the rest of Asa's reign. Now, um, if you, before we talk about the war, there is this what I think is a, is a is a significant issue that we need to talk about in the text itself. The narrator tells us that this war that he gets involved in takes place in Asa's 35th year. Look at 2 Chronicles uh, 15, 19. Um, there was no more war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. Now, that is a little bit of a, of a problem here because... Um, Although it's Asa's 35th year, which would have been 876, the very next verse in 2 Chronicles 16.1, it says, in the 36th year of the reign of Asa, so 36 years into his reign, Baasha, the king of Israel, so Jeroboam, we're going to talk about Baasha next time, but, but Jeroboam has been taken, uh, died, and Baasha is now king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might permit no one to go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Okay, so he says it was in the 36th year of Asa's reign that this conflict begins between Baasha in the north, the northern kingdom, and Asa in the south. The problem is, if it was in the 36th year of Asa, Baasha died 11 years before that. So how could that possibly happen in the 36th year of Asa if Basha was dead 11 years before that? How could Basha be the one uh, with whom he's got a problem? Um, and this that's it's kind of hard to solve. I mean, because he, he, he says it was in the 36th, 35th year, 36th year of, of Asa, king of Judah. 
Well, probably what's referred to here as the 35th or 36th year doesn't necessarily refer to the reign of Asa properly, like from when Asa took the throne until his 36th year, but probably 36 years from the division of the kingdom. Um, and so since the kingdom was, uh, the division of the kingdom was 931, the 35th year would be 897, and the 36th year would have been 896. Um, that's probably what the author is referring to. Now, how do we know that? How do we know that that's got to be it? Because that would put this conflict about the 15th year into Asa's reign. What did we say happened in the 15th year of Asa's reign? He had this big assembly in Jerusalem where tribes from the north were coming in and they were celebrating at the temple, right? So Asa puts on this big festival where people are coming into the temple and they're worshiping the Lord there in the temple at Jerusalem in about his 15th year. Well, Baasha, who is king over Israel at the time, does not like that. And so Baasha, what does he do? He comes into the south and he begins to build a fortification at Ramah. Now, I want you to look at the map over here on that I've put up. So the two blanks here, Baasha and Ramah. Um, you can see the green territory is Judah, is the nation of Judah. The orange territory is the nation of Israel. And Ramah is in, technically is in the tribe of Benjamin's territory, which would fall under Judah's reign, Judah's authority. People are walking. Shannon, can you see my cursor? Remind me again. Can you see it? Okay, good. Um, so people are walking down this little road here all the way into Jerusalem to worship here at the temple. So if people are walking down here on this road to Jerusalem, what does Basha do when he builds a fortification here at Ramah? He builds a wall so that they can't get past it, so that they can't walk to Jerusalem to go to the temple. Basha is mad that his people are leaving Israel just like his father Jeroboam was. They want to permit, prevent people from going down and worshiping at the temple. Why? Because there's a fear amongst the kings of the north that it's going to be worship at the temple that's going to tear their kingdom away. But there's a fundamental problem with this as we've seen. Who is it that gave the kings their kingdom? Well, it's God. So the kingdom, the kings trying to prevent the people from worshiping God is not only a sin, but it's a failure to trust that the Lord is going to uphold the division that he set. And that if they just follow after the Lord, that he will continue to put them on the throne. He's promised the northern kings that he's going to do that. Look, if you follow after me, you will always have an heir on the throne. But if you, if you choose to sin then I'm going to tear the throne away from you. Well, Jeroboam sins by going after false gods because he is, he is convinced that the Lord is not telling him the truth, that he's got to give them pagan gods to worship. And if he doesn't, all the nation is going to follow after the Southern Kings and eventually they won't have a kingdom anymore. So it's a failure to trust in the Lord. Well, the, his Basha's failure continues, or, uh, Jeroboam's failure continues with Basha 
who builds up a fortification in Ramah to prevent his people from continuing on in the south to get to uh, the city of Jerusalem so that they might worship there. Some of that is in a little bit of the subtext of the, the, just based on the geography, you can see that that's what's going on, but also by the years that they're reigning and the fact that the, I mean, the author even tells us that he didn't like the fact that his people were going into Asa's kingdom. And so he does this, but they're going down there to worship. And they're, he's afraid that if they start to worship the Lord, that that's going to tear the kingdom away, which it's precisely the opposite. Worship of the Lord and him following after the Lord is what's going to keep the kingdom in his, in his control. All right. So, um, during, uh, Baasha's rule, which again, we're going to talk about in later weeks, in a couple weeks, uh, increasing numbers of Israelites because of the wickedness in the North are beginning to see that what's happening in the North is spiritual bankruptcy. This is not profitable. Um, and they're traveling South so that they can participate in Jerusalem's festivals and the things that are going on in the temple, particularly because Asa has now swung the country back to religious reform and God is blessing the nation because they're following after the Lord, like he promised to do. And so the people in the North are beginning to see the success and the prosperity in the South and the religious uh, uh, purification that's happening there. And they begin to migrate to the South. So Baasha's goal then is obviously to stem this traffic. Well, if you notice where the, the fortification is built, is it built in the orange or is it built in the green? He went into Judah's territory and built a fortification in Judah's territory, which is a huge problem. All right. So Asa sees this move as a threat to his own security. He doesn't like it. The fact that that Basha has prevented his people from coming down to worship at the temple. He's prevented religious reform amongst the, the Jews as a whole, or the nation of, of, um, of, of all the tribes of Israel. And he's prevented, he's prevented worship. And further, he's done it on his own, on, on their land. So Asa gets it in his mind that he's going to go to Ben-Hadad who is the king of Damascus. Now, Ben-Hadad is further north of Basha. So I want to go back to the, I'll come back to this slide, but I'm going to go back to the map for just a second. Ben-Hadad is up here in Damascus, okay? This is the beginnings of the, of the Assyrian Empire, okay? Uh, and so Ben-Hadad is up here in the north. Now, a long time ago, Ben Hadad, I mean, uh, ben, yeah, ben Hadad and the northern kingdom of Israel had made a peace treaty with one another because they're, they're neighbors. I mean, kind of like think about, you know, if, if for us, if Mexico or if Canada goes off the rails, we have issues because they, are, they share a border for us. So it's a big priority for these northern kings to start to build some sort of alliance with the, the kingdoms to the north of them. So Ben-Hadad, uh, Asa knows that his, his option to get uh, back at Ba'amah for what he's done is to go to Ben-Hadad in Damascus and ask to build a treaty with him. But the problem is Ben-Hadad has already made a treaty with the northern kingdom. And so what does Asa do? He pays him because as it turns out, 
throughout human history, money always talks. Okay. Uh, and Asa decides he's going to go and let's see if we can pay off Ben Hadad. Well, what's the problem? We've already seen Asa has taken a lot of his gold and his silver. And where has he put it? In the temple. He's given it to the Lord as part of his religious reform. So in order to make a treaty with the king of Damascus and bribe him to get out of his treaty with the king of the north, with Bama, he's got to pay him from the gold and silver in the temple and the royal treasuries. You can probably see that that's, that doesn't necessarily end well, at least from a religious perspective. All right. But we get eight uh, verses 18 to 24. Then Asa took all the silver and the gold that were left in the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and gave them into the hands of his servants. And King Asa sent them to Ben-Hadad, the son of uh, Tabermon, the son of Hezion, king of Syria, uh, who lived in Damascus, saying, let there be a covenant between me and you. And there was between my father and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending you a present of silver and gold. Go break your covenant with Baasha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. Then Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel to, and conquered uh, Ijon, Dan, Abel, Beth, Makkah, and all of Chinaroth, and with all the land of Naphtali. And when Beasha heard of it, he stopped building in Ramah, and he lived in Terzah. Then King Asa made a proclamation to all Judah. None was exempt, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber with, uh, with which Baasha had been building. Uh, and with them, King Asa built Geba of Benjamin and Mizpah. Now the rest of all the acts of Asa, all his might and all he did in the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? But in his old age, he, he, he was diseased in his feet. And Asa slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father, and Jehoshaphat, uh, the son, uh, his son, reigned in his place. Okay. So uh, it pays off for him in that he has a military success because if we go back to this slide here, we can see that obviously uh, while Baasha's building down here in the south, and while all of his forces, so you use your military might to, to do your building projects as well. The Romans did this too. They would send all their military down here and they're building in Ramah. Well, Asa's pretty smart. He gets the king of Damascus to attack him in the north. So that requires that he takes his army and moves it back up north. So it gets them out of, his, out of Ramah, his territory. So uh, it turns out to be a pretty smart move. However, even though it was a military success, what had he done? He had relied on the Arameans and not on God in his dispute with Baasha. And so the prophet Hanani predicted that he would henceforth have war. If we look at 2 Chronicles 16, 7 through 14. Um, at that time, Hanani, the seer, came to King Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you relied on the king of Syria, 
and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with many with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. That's a battle we didn't talk about, but it was earlier in his reign. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this, and from now on you will have wars. So Asa gets angry about this, but the fault is his own. He doesn't rely on the Lord. Yet, so we get this mixed report with Asa. Part of it is that he doesn't rely on the Lord. Part of it is he didn't tear down as many high places as he possibly could have. Um, but you notice in this, we see this trouble with the king that with David, we didn't see as much. Asa gets called out by the prophet for his sin. And what does he do? Well, the following verses tell you in verse 10, then Asa was angry with the seer and he put him in stocks in the prison for he was in a rage with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. And then he summarizes the acts of, of Asa. What did David do when Nathan the prophet came to him and told him, you are the man? David sinned greatly. There's no question about that. The biblical authors don't hide it. David sinned greatly, but what does he do when the prophet comes to him and tells him his sin? He repents. But we see this issue with kings throughout Israel's history, especially those that have a mixed report, is they do many good things, but a lot of their, a lot of their operations, or a lot of their, their sins, their, the things that they fall into, the traps they fall into, happen because they're afraid. They, they get fearful of invading armies. They get fearful of impending threats. And what do they do at that moment? They choose, instead of relying on the Lord to handle this battle for them, they go to all the physical means of support. They go to the kings of, king of Damascus, and they have him invade the north. They take money from the temple treasury, because that makes sense. We can take the money out, and we can apply it to the kings of the north. Uh, or we can we can pay off we can bribe other people. Um, that instead of trusting in the Lord at the times where it's where it's the hardest, it's easy to move and instead trust on all the physical things that you can gather uh, for yourself. And certainly we see this as temptation even in our own day. Um, obviously, the situation we're in right now with our country is, uh, I mean this is something new in my lifetime. It's not new, obviously in our country's history, certainly new in my lifetime where we've got a second impeachment today, um, potentially thrown out of office, uh, an invasion on the Capitol, uh, brutal beatings of police officers and killings and country in utter turmoil ripped apart by the shreds. Uh, in the midst of a pandemic that has forced most of us to stay home and us to do this online. Many, uh, most of our church services are online and many of our people um, that would normally be in the church services are online. And it's difficult. It's a difficult time to, uh, to operate. And it's a time where a, a lot of fear is, is setting in. And I think if we're not careful, we can fall into some of the same traps and no doubt have, obviously, but we can fall into some of the same traps as the kings of the north and the south of, you know, thinking that our savior is coming in a vaccine or our savior is coming in some other. 
but we know that fear of death is one thing that's that's certainly been magnified i think throughout this whole thing we we all have it we all struggle with it it's a temptation for every single one of us is to have this intense fear of death uh i i was listening to a a sermon some months ago that was actually preached back in 2012 um and so it had nothing to do with covid it had nothing to do with the the pandemic or anything like that it was preached way before then and um the story that was told was about uh the christians during the roman empire when um a plague hit and uh this is 200 or 380 i think it was and a plague hits and a lot of the doctors and you know pagan um elites left the city they ran they fled and a lot of the Christians stayed, even though they could have fled. And they stayed uh, to help the people who had been inflicted with the plague. And they did so at their own peril. They actually made that clear that we know that there's a chance we could die. But the statement that kept coming out of the church in that era was uh, death or death will, will only translate us from this life to the next. And that testimony of, of eternity um, prevailed and was kind of the, the message of the church. And, and clearly what we see, obviously, we, we have, uh, you know, it, it, this, this plague has probably also revealed some things, I think, to our own hearts and where our trust is and things like that. And um, I'm not going to apply that to any one particular situation, but just uh, leave that for you to think about. In the midst of this story, though, we also see that there, for, for almost no explicable reason, uh, Asa reverses the course of three generations, of three generations. His, father, his, great, his uh, great-grandfather, his grandfather, and his father were all wicked, uh, especially Solomon ended his reign, uh, worshiping at, high, at the high places. And for seemingly no reason... Asa reverses course and turns Judah back to Yahweh. And it's clear in the text, Yahweh sends a prophet to him and tells him, if you do this, uh, you will, uh, I'll be with you. And he turns. And this interruption of sin and idolatry is nothing other than a gift of God. And it's obvious that he's doing this as a, a means of, protecting the nation uh, as they follow after him. Um, he keeps them uh, out of harm's way and out of judgment. Generations, gift of God, uh, three generations. Sorry, I didn't underline the three, but it's three generations and gift of God. Questions? Uh, Michael. Yeah. Oh. We, are we to understand that Asa would have had free reign in the north to seek out and destroy every single high place? Yeah. Yeah, I think um, for the southern kings, if uh, he if they trust in the Lord, the Lord is going to allow them to move into the northern kingdom and destroy all idolatry. I think that's the that's that's the implication I have to take from the text is that because he's held accountable for not doing that, 
uh, it has to be possible for him to do it. And, and, um, you know, and he, he could have, and the Lord, I think would have given him success there. And there's some other things too. We know, um, that I didn't, I just didn't have time to cover tonight just cause this is part of the problem, the difficulty, I shouldn't say problem, but part of the difficulty with going through the chronology is you've got, uh, second Kings, first and second Kings, and then you've got, um, Chronicles. And when you balance back and forth between, you don't get the whole story in one, you, you get it kind of mixed between the two. And so, um, so it's, it's difficult to track down, but, but, um, and that's part of the reason why I didn't do it, but he, he moved into Ephraim and moved into some of the territories of the North and began to take some of those places back and began to crush some of the high places in the Northern kingdom too, but he just didn't make it through the whole nation. So, but yeah, he could have. Other questions? I didn't see any on chat. All right. Well, just a reminder, no uh, Bible study next week but we'll resume the week after that and I'll be, uh, doing it from my home. So, um, hope everything goes well there. All right. Uh, normally I get some kid knocking on the door in the middle of the Bible study and I'm like, you know, opening the door, go away. with So (laughs) hopefully that won't happen, but we'll see. All right. Let's, uh, let's, let's pray. And then we'll get out of here. Heavenly father. Thank you for bringing us together. And I thank you for a time in your word. Um, I pray that through this, we continue to uh, grow in our trust for you, that we uh, refuse idolatry, that we refuse to worship any other God, that we refuse to find hope in, in the thing, um, and see all of these things as a gift from your hand that you've given to us uh, as a, a mercy, as relief. Um, we pray for the effectiveness of the vaccine. We're grateful for it. Um, but we also see it as um, a, a, a temporary stopgap, but no less a gift of grace from your hand. And so we, we're grateful for that. And um, we uh, want to walk the line and hold the tension between, um, between um, uh, trusting in it and find salvation in it, and, but also seeing it as a gift from you. And so we, we pray that you would keep our hearts in that position. Um, and... Um, and always uh, reminding us of the sin that lies deep within that um, we often don't see. We pray that through the study of your word, you'd bring those things to the forefront of our minds. Um, Then give us the gift of repentance that we may confess it and that we may move on uncovered under the blood of Christ. We pray these things in Jesus name. Amen.